Well, good morning. My name is Seth. If I haven't met you yet, I get the honor and privilege of serving as the executive pastor here at New Freedom Church. And I'd like to start off today uh, with a few thank yous and a couple of shout outs, if that's all right with you. So first off, uh, Pastor Joe, uh, I know that you're watching from Honduras right now on your first ever missions trip where he is getting to lead. And yeah, go ahead and clap. He's getting to lead and equip a new generation of pastors from all over Central and South America. So really, really cool stuff happening over there. He went live on Facebook last night and my first thought was, oh my God, nobody's gonna show up tomorrow. But thank you so much for sharing the pulpit with me. And then to add Dennis to that, to that equation, uh, you guys both push me uh, out of my comfort zone. And I love that about you. You're helping me grow as a disciple, as a believer, and as a pastor. And so thank you for that push uh, to be up here today. Next up, God's doing amazing things at New Freedom. He really is doing amazing things in and through this ministry. But there's some really cool things that happen outside of these walls as well that really have nothing to do with new freedom. It's just that God is on the move. So just a week ago, we had 150 young adults gather in a room from different churches, different denominations, different backgrounds, different walks of life, and they came for one purpose, to praise God. So thank you, Pastor Noah, for leading um, leading that front. This is like a total side gig of his. It has nothing to do with his job. And uh, just, it's really cool, but how amazing that is pales in comparison to the story he told on Monday, which was there was a hired hand in the room. And she was told, after one hour, your time is done. You can go. I know, I know that you don't understand this whole God thing. I know that you're not a believer. Um, and so come, do the, do the job, we'll pay you. And, uh, and after an hour, you can leave. And he said, four hours in, because young adults can praise for four hours, evidently. Uh, he looked up and she was still there. So God is on the move in incredible ways. And then finally, a man who's poured into and invested an enormous amount into my own personal spiritual uh, growth over the course of the last decade or more, uh, Pastor Paul Taylor is seeing something phenomenal today. They have over 300 people who have not only said yes to Jesus, but are stepping out in faith and believers baptism. And so that's happening this Sunday, uh, right now as we talk, 300 people are getting baptized together. Incredible work in the kingdom of God. So I wanna start simply with a prayer this morning. God, would you please remove any part of me that's in this message? Father, would you just fill me up with your spirit today? Thank you for writing this message by my hand through your spirit, God. I pray that it, it, that it falls on soft ears and soft hearts, God. And um, Father, I just praise you and give you all the glory and honor for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So church, we've been on a journey. We have been walking through a group of psalms in the Bible, and specifically uh, the Songs of Ascent, which is chapters 120 to 134. And these psalms were sung by the Jewish people as they would go on their pilgrimage. Uh, They were going to worship their God and their creator. They were going to have festivals and celebrations uh, from from, uh, all tribes and a bunch of different regions. They would all meet up in the capital city. And so these songs were a little bit like a school spirit chant, if you will. Everybody would have known them. Newcomers could pick them up pretty easily and feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Hiking a mountain had to be a little bit nerve wracking. I don't know if anybody's done that recently, but it's not a short journey. It's not quick, it's not easy. And there's some danger that's involved in that as well. And so among the excitement 
the, the, the songs could have provided them a sense of security, a sense of belonging as they were going on this journey. And then just like any sports stadium has songs unique to itself, you would have known you're in the right spot. You would have known you were traveling to the right spot when you heard the songs being sung. So far, we've touched on a few themes here. And, uh, and Joe, I know I gave you a lot of um, uh, praise in the beginning here, but man, who starts a sermon series talking about suffering? Really? Come on. But y'all came back and you're here for week four. We've also talked on God's sovereignty or his control over everything. And then a posture of worship where we're able to point out some elements of worship in this room, like the altar, like the cross on the wall. And today as we continue on this journey, I want to speak on Psalms 123. The big idea or the theme that you're going to pick out here pretty quickly is mercy. Now we're going to we're going to unpack the word mercy. We're going to define it. We're going to talk about mercy, but I really want the focus of the message to go beyond that. What is our response to mercy? Or as I've titled today's message, my good and reasonable response. Let's dive in. Psalm 123, if you'll open your Bibles or you'll see it on the screen there. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of a slave look to the hand of their master, the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord until he shows his mercy. That feels good. Have mercy on us, God. Have, have mercy on us. We've endured no end of contempt. We, we've endured no end of ridicule of the arrogant or contempt of the proud. Did you catch the pause there, church? From until God shows his mercy. Oh God, you're so good. I'm gonna sit under your authority. I'm, I'm just gonna sit in your presence, Father, and I am gonna raise my eyes to you and wait for your mercy as long as you give it right here, right now, right? There's a pause. Have mercy, God. Have mercy on me. Have you ever prayed that, church? Maybe you came in today and you didn't know that you could pray that. Don't get me wrong, this isn't God on demand. We don't get to stroke his ego and then expect a specific response from him. We see our psalmist doing that. I know that I've done that personally in my own life. And what we see in verse three and four is what happens. Fear, anxiety, doubt. We see in other psalms that it doesn't actually come to an end until the psalmist finds a place of humility. But it's this reason I love the Psalms. They don't always teach us what to say. They don't always teach us how to say it or how to think, but they show us how we can go to God. They show us how we're allowed to approach our Father. You see, we can approach him with our joy and our excitement. We see verses like, you are my hope, God. You're worthy of all my praise. But we also see Versus where people take their pain and their suffering, their, their unbelief. God, they mock us. They mock us, God. Or, or, or simply, how long must we wait? How long must we wait, Lord? It shows us he's a big God and he can handle our emotions. It's in the expression of those emotions that we often see our psalmist finding their way back to surrender and back to humility before God. And the result of that is peace, even when an answer is not provided that moment. So it's in the real and the raw emotions of the psalms that we get so many modern worship songs today. 
You see, it gives us words to speak when we're broken, when we're hurting, when we're speechless. So this mercy that our psalmist is crying out for, what is it? Well, let's define it real quick. Mercy is defined as to show compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it's within your power to punish or harm. So we're showing compassion or forgiveness when we could punish or harm. It sounds a lot like parenting. I've always heard there's no manual for raising kids because you have to raise each one individually. They keep you on your toes. They're, they're so incredibly unique that you're constantly having to change your game plan. In fact, I, I've got three kids and I think we have a picture of them up here. Yeah, there they are. There they are. It's amazing what photo filters can do nowadays. We could also call that the Facebook version or the reality uh, of life. I'm still a little confused. My, my, uh, my ADD kind of pulls me right to that baby's armpits where it looks like it's hair. My wife swears it's ears, but I don't know. So my kids keep me guessing. We're constantly having to change up our approach and, and they offer me this unique experience in life where I get daily and sometimes hourly opportunities to show mercy. But of the three kids, none give me more opportunities than my son. I love him. He's a great kid. He is a gentle little boy when he's got someone smaller than him. But outside of that, it's pretty much chaos all the time. And, and, and sometimes I look at him and I just, I scratch my head and I think, son, what are you doing? What in the world are you thinking? And I have to imagine that sometimes God looks down on me and says, Seth, what are you doing? What are you thinking? As he extends me yet another act of mercy. Now, for those Christians in the room with us today, we associate the word mercy to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and we'll get to that later. But as a quick aside, church, I need you to know a little bit about me. As, as I begin to teach and preach with, with some frequency here, I do two things in every message. I talk as if there are unsafe people in the room, which means I might explain a term or a phrase or give a little backstory that maybe doesn't trip you up anymore if you've been a believer for a long time. But I want nothing to separate a person from hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want them to be tripped up on a word and miss out on the big point of the story. So if I can take two seconds and do that, I will. And the second part is I'm gonna present the gospel every single message, whether it's in short, medium, or long form, whether it's in the beginning, the middle, or the end, it's gonna be in there. You'll find it somewhere because the gospel is the central theme of all this. It's what makes any message worth teaching. And if I'm gonna pray fervently for lost people to walk in these doors, then I better act like they're here. So I need a favor from you. For those of you who have been a believer for a while, it can be really easy in those moments to kind of say, oh, this is when I check my bulletin. This is when I, I get on my, my social feeds or, or on my phone and, and check, uh, check the scores of the game or the website or whatever, whatever it is that you're doing because it's a time to check out, but it's not. It's a time I actually need you to really focus and check in because we need to come into agreement on some stuff, church. I need you out there in that moment praying fervently, God, open the hearts and the minds of the men and women in here today who are far from you. Holy Spirit, fill this place. 
rest on people today so that you can do the work that only you can do. Can you do that for me, church? I'm counting on it. So unlike our psalmist today, we have the knowledge of Jesus. We know the other side of the story. Yeah, the Jewish people in the Psalms, they knew of a God and a king who would one day come. They knew the prophecies, but their experience of mercy was a God who had time and time again sustained his people. You see, long before Jesus came on the scene and, 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 and died and, and said uh, uh, and offered himself to anyone who will accept him, God set aside a people. He set aside a nation and said, these will be my people. They're going to be a light unto the world. They're supposed to look different. They're supposed to show what life can be like in God's kingdom. But they kept messing it up. Time and time again, God would sustain his people and lift them up again, but they kept messing it up. And despite the power and the authority God had to wipe his hands clean, say, I've had enough, he kept showing mercy. So what's the response to this mercy that our psalmist is crying out for with such expectation today? Let's go back to the text. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. You see, church, there's an adoration. He's falling under the authority of God. And then he uses common imagery of the day. As, a, as the eyes of a slave look to the hand of their master, the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until he shows us his mercy. So the context of the writing is someone falling under the authority or under the leadership of their master. Please don't let the word slave trip you up. This is someone falling under another's authority willfully. He's expecting mercy. So what should happen when he gets it? Well, fast forward a little bit. Jesus has come onto the scene. God has given his greatest act of mercy ever and Paul's writing to the Roman church. In Romans 12 and one, therefore I urge you. Anytime Paul says therefore, he's about to drop a bomb on us. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. You see, Paul wants us to do something with this. He wants us to act on this. To offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But I thought worship was singing. It is. But Paul's taking it a step further. He's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, I can't go anywhere without this thing. It comes with me everywhere I go. All the unique skills and the talents and the abilities that God has, has, has gifted me with and gifted you with, we take them everywhere we go. And Paul's saying, offer your body. Give what you have. This is worship. So how do we respond to God's mercy, church? We serve. Now, we just ended a round of new membership class around here. It's called Direction Connection Path, or DCP for short. Uh, keep your eyes out for that. It's a great class. Amy Combs did a phenomenal job again. And this class helps us understand how God has wired us up. Among other things, it, it helps us understand how God has wired us up and what gifts we have to bring to the body. It helps us identify where we can serve. And Paul calls this service 
worship. We love to worship. We love to sing. That was a phenomenal worship set, Nate. Good job, buddy. (laughs) But it's about more than that. Yeah, yeah. It's about more than that. It's about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, walking this thing out just as Christ walked it out for us. You see, he exemplified this service for us. No matter his authority, no matter his past credentials, which were pretty good, he came from heaven, no matter his inability or any human limitations that may have been on him while present on this earth, he served. And so our good and proper response to the mercy God has granted us is to serve. The same letter to the Roman church later in in chapter 14 goes on to say, for none of us live for ourselves alone and none of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. This is for you Christians in the room. So whether we live or die, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So our response to mercy is to serve as an act of worship, but why? We're not our own. It's bigger than me and you. We're serving God, not us. Now we have no shortage of serving opportunities like any other church across America, but that's not what this is about. You see, even if we filled every slot that we could possibly think of, if somebody comes knocking on my door and says, I wanna serve, we're gonna find a spot for you because this isn't about volunteerism. This isn't about filling a spot. This is about an act of worship. Now, I love the way that God has uniquely set up the world. You don't actually have to be a believer to take advantage of the principles of God. Did you know that? You're gonna gonna reap the rewards only on this side of eternity, but the way in which God has designed the world, you can act in a way like philanthropy. There are many, many, many businesses that have gotten on board with philanthropy because somehow, their business miraculously does better when they do. They don't have to be a believer. It's just a principle of God. And so serving is a principle of God. And and if you serve, there's some real tangible buy-in. So whether you've decided to follow Jesus today or not, let me give you the buy-in for why it's good. It provides community. I have lifelong friends that started serving side-by-side in our local church. It brings humility as we learn to serve under the authority of another. It gives us leadership because you can't really lead if you don't know how to follow. It's an act of worship, but we've already talked about that today. And as Pastor Joe explained last week, we were created for worship. And so it brings purpose. There's freedom as we have to kick down some walls to step out of our comfort zones and do something unique. There's excitement and encouragement and opportunity for the body of Christ as the world looks in on us and says, that little church in Lebanon, they look different. Something different is happening over there. There's opportunity for God's kingdom to expand. And it's an act of discipleship. It's a maturing in your faith. So if it's so good, church, why don't we do it? If we've experienced the mercy of God, why don't we respond in the way that Paul tells us to? First up, I didn't know. I simply didn't know this was something God expected of me. Maybe you've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, and I just, I didn't know. 
I thought that was just filling a space and, and I'm, I'm an introvert, so uh, I'm not gonna get out and do that kind of stuff. No, God wants you to use your gifts. There's good news. If that's you, if that's the category you fall in, now you know. Now your eyes are open and you know that your true and proper act of worship is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Church, that means you're not just willing to die for Christ. It means you're actually willing to live for him today. Next up, maybe it's a life stage issue. Maybe it's a time issue. Somehow it's 2020 and science has not figured out how to extend the day. I don't know why we can't have more than 24 hours. I love it, but we're just not there. This one's hard for me because my wife and I, when we were young, we would serve together side by side on Sunday mornings. And it was incredible. Some of the, some of the most fun times that we would have serving our local church hand in hand, but then kids came around. And kids make life really hard to serve on Sunday morning at the same time uh, until they're, you know, independent and 35. <laughs> but we had to do something different. We, we had to change. And, and so there's that process of change. And, and despite popular belief, change is hard for me too. But it takes some time to wrestle with that and to, and to figure out your new place. The problem with this one, church, the one that really breaks my heart on this one is the fact that oftentimes our reasons are so reasonable. They're so reasonable. They're not bad things. But I beg of you, church, if you find yourself in that category, don't let it go on and on. Don't let it go unchecked or you will find that you begin to grow disconnected from your church. You'll find that you begin to grow out of love with your church because you've stopped serving her. There may be a marriage message in there somewhere. I've got nothing to offer because you fill in your own blank here. Too young, too old, I've got physical or health limitations or, or uh, I don't have the skills that I want and so I'm not gonna serve. Maybe, maybe you only have a heart to sing to God and you just, he didn't give it to you and so you're not gonna serve anywhere else. Church, we have toddlers right now, toddlers in our nursery who are playing with babies. They're not toddlers, we have children in our nursery playing with babies and toddlers. We've got students working in kids' ministry, college-age students working in Catalyst Youth, each one bringing up the next generation behind them. We have young men and, and, and older uh, men and women all across this place serving in these walls and out whether it's organizing snacks, using their skilled labor, being intercessory prayer warriors, or simply spending the night with the homeless, giving them a safe place and a tender ear to hear their story. IHN's this week, by the way. It's an act of worship, and we were made for worship. Now, I know the next one doesn't apply, but we need to go through it just for the completeness of the text here. The extremes. If you happen to find yourself in one of these, don't, don't, don't use this as a, as a time to be upset or angry. Let it touch your heart. Let God speak to you. Pride or arrogance, or the reverse of this is, is over-serving as an identity in serving rather than in Christ. Now, I know there are many valid reasons people don't serve. 
from season to season or time to time. I get that. We've all been there. We'll all be there again one day. But if you find yourself too important, too overqualified, or beyond serving in your local church out of a sense of pride or arrogance, you might just be too big for heaven, my friend. On the reverse of this is the person who says yes to everything, not out of a humble heart, but because serving is their identity. You see, they've taken something really good and something of God and they've placed it above him. You'll get accolades. People will love you. Leaders are gonna, are gonna flock to you because they can count on you until one day you find the identity is false. It doesn't hold up. You burn out. You're broken. Everybody's wondering why that great volunteer crashed and burned and, and, and not only stepped down from their position, but left the church altogether. It was never meant to satisfy you. Next, don't we pay for that? Not if you don't tithe, but, but if you do, no, you still don't pay for it. Serving is, is something that we do as a body of believers. This church runs on service. I'm a bivocational pastor, which means this is part of my income. But most of my work is done Monday through Friday. It has nothing to do with Sunday morning. And thank God I get to be paid to do some of this. But about 20% of my schedule is built in on purpose as serving. Not tied to my employment, not tied to my income. It's not a mandate that Joe requires of me. It's something that I do because it disciplines me to be more like my king. It is an act of discipleship, church. Have you ever thought about serving as discipleship? I hear people say all the time that they want more discipleship. They want to go deeper. Discipleship is simply growing more and more Christ-like or to maturity in faith. I want that too. The unfortunate thing is the request often comes with something the church is supposed to do or provide for you. It's a bit like a nail on a chalkboard when I, when I hear it. Maturity in faith is learning to self-feed to self-start, or as a good friend of mine once said, to get up off that thing and do something with your faith. <laughs> your life should look different as you mature as a believer. It should look different than when you started. It becomes less about me and more about looking up. This kingdom lens, a kingdom mindset and a kingdom focus. We recognize that our salvation has long been secured. The rest of this is abundance. How much abundance are we gonna live on this side of eternity? And God lets us grow in our maturity here on this side of eternity. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to continue learning about him for eternity. We can do some now. So please stop asking the church to be solely responsible for your discipleship. You know, no grown man or woman would ask for a bottle of milk once they know how to prepare and eat a juicy steak. Do something with your faith. Help someone else grow. It's a really, really, really disheartening scientific fact that you will only take in 10 to 20% of what I teach today. 10 to 20%. How dare you? I worked hard on this. <laughs> it's what our brains can process. But something that you teach another person, 70%, is the retention rate. 70% of 
It's an exponential growth when you teach someone else something. So if you want to grow in maturity, grow someone else. Teach them. Walk alongside them, and it makes you own it that much more. Serving is part of my walk with Jesus. And, and I found a quote many years ago. It helped me land my first nursing job because the recruiter said it, it just jumped off the page at her. I don't know if she was a believer or not, um, but all truth is God's truth. And so, amen, uh, it spoke to her. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Finding yourself is a pretty common term of the day. Uh, lots of young adults go off to find themselves, um, or as we, as we hit different life stages, we try and find ourselves, and really we're looking for purpose, but Pastor Joe last week covered that in like three seconds. We were created to worship our creator. The problem is often when we think of worship, we only think of song. If we can get out of the song mindset, then it makes a whole lot more sense because I don't know about you, I don't want to stand around and sing all day long. I can offer my body as living sacrifice, all of me. So in this service, we find purpose. Now, of course, church, I wanna invite you to join me on this today and we'll have more DCP events, but don't wait for that. Don't wait for that. Jump onto a team, talk to a leader, talk to a staff member, hop on our website and click on the I have decided tab. It starts with a willing heart and a simple conversation. It may just change your life. Lastly, maybe you aren't serving as a response to God's mercy because you've never experienced God's mercy. Am I talking to anybody today? Have you been crying out for mercy like our psalmist? God, this life is really hard. It's really hard, God, and I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. My kids are a mess, my job's a mess, my life is a mess, my marriage is broken. God, if you're real, if you're real and you actually care about me, have mercy. So mercy, as we've seen, is, is to have the power yet to withhold it. In the Christian life, we, we understand this to mean we don't get what we deserve. Now, I'm a, I'm a really good person. I'm sure my wife would, would agree. Really, really good person. And when this life is over, I am absolutely certain that my good is gonna outweigh my bad. As I look out into the room today, I would imagine many of you would feel that exact same way. Yet somehow deep inside of us, we know it's not good enough. If we actually got what we deserved, it would be devastating. We're real people, church. We like to say around here, we're, we're, we're real people who've experienced a real freedom. But if you're newer around here today, I wanna to tell you why we have real freedom when we say yes to Jesus. You see, humanity screwed up. We screwed up. We weren't in the Garden of Eden. That wasn't us, but we keep doing that same thing today. We keep trying to act like God. We keep trying to, to overtake his authority and, and be, the, be the caretakers of our own lives. yet we're always gonna fall short of his perfection. It wouldn't take me very long to find something from the moment I woke up to the moment I stepped on this stage to teach and preach today, something in my life, hopefully not an action, but a thought, an emotion, a feeling, something that didn't line up with God's perfection today. 
That's sin, church. That's sin. It's not a dirty word. It's, it's not something that only you have done and you need horribly shame for. It's missing the perfect mark of God. I miss that mark, and so do you. Yet God, is a, as a perfect judge, he's placed restriction on himself. To remain perfect, there must actually be a punishment for the sin. If there's not, there is no justice. And oh, how our hearts cry out for justice. But we messed up. It's our mistake. And so the punishment should befall us. Have mercy, God. Have mercy. God's not only in a position of power and authority with the ability to bring the punishment to us. He can do so righteously. He can do so rightly, or to put it another way, he can give us exactly what we deserve. But no matter his authority, no matter his ability, he chose to send Jesus. He chose to send his son to die on a cross, just like a common criminal. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the only one who could take on all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, everything for you and for me. Take that junk to the grave and bury it deep. Then he rose in victory, fully God. See, church, he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of our heart and our love. He's worthy of our time and our resources. And he's worthy of our surrender today. It's in that surrender that we say yes to Jesus and we begin to walk out this daily experience of being more and more Christ-like. We begin to say, God, not my will, but yours. I want what you have for my life. This church, we're real people. We're real people. We're ordinary, we're typical, we're standard issue people. But we have a real freedom when we say yes to Jesus. Knowing that our salvation is secure, knowing where we will go when this life ends, brings us freedom in this place. It makes me want to serve him more and more. Now, if God is stirring on your heart today to say yes to him, it's as simple as ABC Church. You admit that you're broken, that you missed the mark. That one's easy. We all do it. I'm sure many of us will do it on the way out of the parking lot as we cut each other off today. Then you believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, fully God, fully man, took on the sin and the shame, and he did it not just for me, but for you and you choose to follow him day by day by day, growing more like your king. Church, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you will open the hearts and the minds today, God. Let your spirit dwell in this place, Father. Thank you for being with us. If you want to accept Jesus today, I wanna to simply ask you uh, to, to pray a few words. There's nothing, there's no, nothing about this prayer that saves you. It's simply an act of surrender to God, saying, God, I know that I need you as my savior. 
God, I know that I am not good enough despite my best efforts to line up with your perfection and I need you. I believe in Jesus Christ and I wanna choose to follow you. Church, if you've done that today, I wanna ask you to do two things for me. In the back of the auditorium, every week we have open communion for anyone who wants to take it. But right beside it are these little books. It's the Gospel of John. Begin your journey by reading about the story of Jesus, his life and his ministry, so that you can grow more connected with him and let the pages of scripture begin to speak to your heart. And second, tell someone. Turn in a connection card from your bulletin. Hop on the website and click on the link. Tell a friend. You don't have to walk this out alone. In fact, if you said yes to Jesus today, it's not the end of the line for you. It's actually the beginning. So I wanna close with this today, church. Will you join me? Will you take a step in discipleship and begin serving today? God bless you, church. If you came prepared to give today, you can do so at the giving stations online or by phone. We cannot do the amazing work that this ministry does without you. Have a blessed week.